0: Luke chapter 12. Luke chapter 12 this morning, all right? So, is it not on? Oh, how about now? Am I good now? All right. So, we're going to Luke chapter 12 this morning. Okay, so we've been talking about for the last few weeks... What it means to have a transformational life. In other words, Scripture tells us that when we give our life to Christ, that we are a new creature in Christ, all right? Everything old is passed away and all becomes new. The problem for us is we tend to hold on to things. There are aspects of our life which we like. There are aspects of our life which we want to control. There are aspects of our life which are very difficult for us to give up. So we've been spending the last few weeks talking about those different things. We've been talking about holding on to our own talents, okay? God gives us abilities, and we hide those abilities. We don't use those abilities fully for his kingdom. We talked about the fact that he gives us treasures. He gives us things to be able to, and we're going to look at that today. This is kind of where we're going to finish but um, we also talked about time, about how we don't manage our time very well, right? We let people rob us of our time. God is supposed to get the first. This is the first day of the week, right? Sunday's the first day of the week. The world doesn't even recognize that anymore. What's the first day of the week? Monday's the first day of the week. We recognize Mondays the first day of the week because it's when we got to go to work. We got to go to work because we got to make money, we got to do all the things in life that we want to do. See, we've got this stuff all, prioritized wrong. And so today I want us to look and see what happens when we get radical, when we make a transformational change, when we step out of our comfort zone, when we move in such a way that we break the whole past behind and we truly move out into a new realm, what that means for us. I want you to see that when you're in your little box and you've got God boxed up and you think everything's all right because you're working well inside of there, and it's all comfortable for you, but God has so much more for us. If you'll just break out of that box, if you'll just step out of that box, you will see and be um, and moved into a new realm that you, that you don't even know, and you can't even fathom right now. Just a little story to start. I want to tell you my journey for just a second. So Tamar and I got married in 1990. In June, we were married 29 years, all right? In fact, my beautiful bride who went back today turns 50 today, all right? Don't tell her I said the age, but if today's her birthday, all right? All right, so um, she's—but we've been married for 29 years. So when we got married, um, she didn't marry a pastor. I mean, we met at the Baptist Student Union at our college, but she wasn't marrying no pastor. She's like, you're going to get a real job, man. You're going to support me. You know, this is how this works. And so that all worked fine for the first few years. And then we went back home to the church that I grew up in, and that's where we started. And so as we started there in that church, um, I got involved, and she got involved in the student ministry. We were just workers. Next thing you know, somebody didn't want to teach Sunday school anymore, so I became a ninth-grade Sunday school teacher, ninth and tenth graders. And so next thing you know, we were going on some retreats and some trips and things like that. Well, then the student minister left. And it had been like the third one that they'd had in like five or six years. So they asked. They said, Tim won't go anywhere. He'll never do anything. So we'll ask him to be our student minister. So they did. And so bivocationally, I went from a Sunday school teacher to going on trips and doing things like that to being the student pastor. All right, that was in 93. So by the time we get all the way to 97, when I felt like that God had called me in the ministry full time, I'm in the ministry full time. Tomorrow's married to a pastor then. She had no clue. And so, see, I just kept stepping out of boxes. Stepping out of boxes. From being just someone who was watching on Sunday mornings, says, yeah, I'll teach a Sunday school class. And then, from teaching a Sunday school class, yeah, we just need somebody to look after the students down there, Tim. Make sure they don't break anything. To the next thing you know, God started working in me. And I, I can remember vividly going on a retreat with students and feeling the Lord calling me out of where I was working, full-time, company truck, all my benefits, into ministry. And I came home and told Tamara. I think I told you guys this here once before. I told Tamara, and she goes, well, he ain't told me that. And I'm not joking. For the next year and a half, we went through all kinds of issues with my job, not with our marriage, but just the struggle of moving from where we were and where we were comfortable, how are we going to pay for things, Tim? How are we going to live our lives? How's God going to take care of us? This is not who I married, Tim. This was not how this is supposed to be, Tim. To all of those discussions, to where I am now, we planted two churches, and now we're here. So God has moved us all over in all kinds of different areas, doing all kinds of different things. See, this is what God will do if we will allow him to do it. And what I want you to think about today is how can God radicalize my life? Not in a bad way, not the way that we think in culture today, radical. But I want you to think, if I am generous, if I am generous with my time, If I am generous with the talents that God has gifted me, and if I am generous with the treasures in which he's entrusted to me, and I am generous with the passion to which he has given me something. Because there's passion in our lives about something. There's something that we're passionate about. I don't know what yours is. I know what mine is, but I don't know what yours is. If you allow God to, to get inside of that passion in your life, he will transform it. And he will make it radically new. So this morning, this is what the passage talks about. It starts off with a warning. The warning is one of life's dangers, okay? Luke chapter 12, verse 15, he said, Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Because you know what? I'm going I'm to go on a limb here. I'm going to say that everyone in this room lives comfortably. Maybe not to the measure in which you want to be comfortable. I'm not saying about your wants, but I'm saying you're comfortable. And the reason I can say that with all kinds of just just knowing in my heart that that is true is because even the poorest people in this country live better than 90% of the world. Do you know that? The poorest of the poor here still live better than 90% of the world. Why is that? Because even the poorest of the poor here can get themselves to a hospital. They can get care. Someone else in another country can't even get that. In our former church, we supported a lady who was going um, down into the, the, to the Pacific, to small islands, to be able to give shots for malaria. Why? Because nobody would set foot on the island that was a foreigner. Why? Because the people were infected, and they were dying. And she was at the University of Georgia, comfortably living as an associate professor. And God called her out of that, put her on a boat, put her in the Pacific, and now I get a monthly newsletter from April telling me all the things how God is using her in her life, and using her to reach others. She's built labs. She's trained people. She's trained people on the island how to do all of this. They used to have to take the blood and go all the way back to a center somewhere else. It take them months. She built the lab on the boat. Just You see what I'm saying? God gifted talents and abilities and skill sets and experiences and a passion for something unleashed. But what's the warning? The warning is this. We let our greed get in the way. And greed comes in all forms. So this greed, what I'm going to give you this morning right here, you need to remember this because this is going to stop you. The first thing you need to realize is our wants get in the way. We want to have. Now, the Bible uses all of these terms, and I'm going to give you these terms. These are what these terms are giving, categorizing us into. To have is to covet, to envy, or be jealous. Now, that doesn't seem like too much, right? Right? I want to have something that somebody else has. They have a good life. They have disciplined children. (laughs) They have a nice home. They have cars. They have all that stuff. They have, they have, they have. I want what they have. That doesn't seem like a bad thing, right? That's aspirations. That's goals. That's ambitions. That's what the world would tell us. You just got to go out and get it. You go out and get it yourself. But here's the problem. Once we have it, we want to hold it. And this is where it starts getting back. I'm not telling you that ambition is wrong. I'm not telling you that drive and passion is wrong. But when you want something that somebody else has and then you go and have it, it doesn't bring you the fulfillment that you think it will. We were talking about this at Men's Bible Study this week. How many professional players spend their entire life trying to reach a World Series, a Super Bowl, or the Final Four, or the NBA Finals, or win the Whatever, what's the trophy that they have for hockey? I mean, this is a South. Stanley Cup, there you go. This is a South, man. I'm sorry. I just, you know, just Georgia is like, what, 12 days and a number of hours away. That's what we're focused on here, okay? But whatever it is, they spend their entire lives trying to achieve that. But the problem is they achieve it, and then they're empty. And one of the professional basketball players, I'm not going to give you his name, but a few years ago he won the championship and then turned around and won it again. And he said it didn't bring him the joy that he thought it would bring him. Because at 30-something years of age, he'd achieved everything that he set out for in life. And that was the top of his goal. What was he going to do now? Just sit back and do nothing? See, we have a hard problem and a hard time going from these aspirations and these goals to nothingness. So what we do is we look to hold on to those things. And when we hold on to those things, they become our idols. And whatever we idolize, we worship. And we don't realize that we do that, but when we give our time, our energy, our talents, and our money to things other than God and place that before him, we are idolizing it. We are worshiping it. If we go buy a new boat, which it's okay to have a boat, but if you're going to go out there on, on Sunday mornings and spend it on Lake Lanier, instead of being in here and worshiping God, then you're worshiping that and what it brings you. But, Tim, it brings me happiness. Happiness is an external emotion, and it goes away as quickly as it comes. I like eating ice cream. It makes me happy when I do it. But then the bowl is empty. And I either have to go get more, right, Don? Yeah. All right? Or I do without And if I sit there and I fulfill my happiness, I get what? Fatter. I'm not going to say fat. I'm just going to say fatter. Do you get it? If we start pumping all this stuff in and we hold on to it, we hold on to it. It has effects on us. And it becomes an idol. And it becomes something that we worship. It becomes a routine that we have to have. So to have, to hold, to hold. And then we start to hoard. I mean, you ever watch these TV shows? You ever watch those hoarding TV shows? It's scary, isn't it? It is. Have you been down in your basement lately? Yeah, man. We just moved, so I had to go down in our basement. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I got a jack down there, and we've talked about that. It's a floor jack. that My dad died in 1995. I haven't jacked up a car since 1995, but I have moved that floor jack like five times. And it's still sitting in my new basement. So if you need to borrow a jack, call me. I can work that out for you. Because I got one that I ain't using. We store it. We store it. We store it right? So it becomes something that we hoard. The terms that are used in Scripture for this is avarice, stingy, control. (laughs) None of you are control freaks, are you? I like that new commercial, right? They they put those things on your car now (laughs) to to monitor your driving so that they say that they can give you a better rate on your car insurance. I'm like, I'm never putting one of those on my car, man, because my rates will go through the roof. I think i read two red lights just getting here but there's policemen here maybe i didn't <laughs> all right but if i had one of those my rates would be through the roof not, but there's a commercial about this woman she goes don't mess with my discount do you remember that it's the new one that's out there so she's like she all these different things what so that why so that she can save some money you can save all the money that you want But it is a tool. Do you get that? Money is a tool. The resources that you have been given by God physically are a tool. The amount of time that you've been given on this earth is a tool. And if you don't use it properly, you are wasting it. If you wanted to find out what happens if you waste it, go go listen to the sermon last week. God will take it away. Take it away. We don't think he will. But he will take it away. He'll take away your passion for something. I can't tell you as a younger man how much time I spent playing golf. My son-in-law and I moved a bunch of truckloads worth of stuff last week. Fifteen truckloads of stuff. That wasn't even our furniture. That's how much we're carrying around. Fifteen pickup truckloads worth of stuff in a basement that I'm trying to sort through. And I'm carrying from place to place. And he said to me, how many sets of golf clubs do you have? I guarantee you, I have four sets of golf clubs. My wife has three sets of golf clubs. Go ask Tamara Hunter when the last time she played golf was. Probably before children, B.C. That's what it's called in your life, before children. <laughs> A.D. is after death, right? And when you had them. I'm just kidding because part of you just dies. I'm just kidding. I'm just just playing. That's where that comes from. You thought it was from when the Lord, no, I'm just playing. It was So I got like six sets of golf clubs. I'm left-handed. You can't just like go give those things away. Nobody wants them. It just doesn't work unless I'm behind a tree. I can't use it, you know. How much do I play golf now? I play about one time a year. My first church plant, I probably played like four times a week. Three or four hours a day to play a round of golf. How much time of my life did I spend doing that? Do you get what I'm talking about? If it's not producing the fruit, God takes your passion away from it or for it. I'm not too bad. I can go out there and probably still shoot in the high 80s or low 90s, and I don't even play. But the passion for it, I'm going four hours out in that sun at my age, hauling that around, walking. I ain't walking. I'm paying for a golf cart, man. I probably need a stretcher if I even have to walk from the cart path. You know what I mean? So my passion has changed. All this goes through a different filter and a different evaluation. Are you getting it? Don't hoard these things. Don't try to hold on to these things. The last thing is this. Once we have it, Once we hold on to it and hoard it, then we begin to hate it. We begin to hate it. It's called pride and selfishness. We begin to hate the very things that we used to do this for. We begin to hate it. This is what happens when greed gets in the wrong form in our lives. This is a huge Huge, huge warning to us. All right, so the rest of this passage, after I've covered one verse, and you're going, man, we're going to be late for lunch. No, I'm going to move quickly, all right? The first thing I want you to see is we talk about the first part of this passage talks about building capital, and it's about asset management. Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. And He told them a parable. The land of a rich man was very productive, and he began reasoning to himself, saying, What shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? And then he said, This is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and my goods. See, he's following this pattern right here. Do you get it? He started producing something. He got really, really good at it. He starts to what? Give it away? No. He starts holding on to it. Now he's going to build bigger barns, and he's going to what? He's going to hoard it. And I will say to my soul, Soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, You fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? Your kids, and they don't want it. They're going to haul it around for 22 years like the jack that's in the basement of my house. So is the man who stored up treasures for himself and is not rich towards God. When we're building capital, when we're building asset uh, management, and that's all we're thinking about, it's about wealth accumulation. Our job becomes about accumulating wealth. And that can be stored up in many different ways. I'm not just, please hear me, I'm not talking about money. It's my time. My time. So if it becomes your time, and you're married and you have children, who's losing when you go spend your time? Everybody that wants to have fellowship with you. What about this? You don't generally spend your time by yourself on your own. You go buy toys. Thus, we get the license plate on the back of the cars. The man with the most toys wins. And this is, do you see how we build this all up? We're in a country today. We're in America. We're in the most prosperous country of ever, ever. And if people just tithe to a church, gave their 10%, which God asked them to give, we could wipe out world hunger if the church would do the right thing with that money. But you know what we give? We give 1.5%. Between 1% and 2%. That's five times or more, five to eight times more that could be given just to give a tithe. So, we're robbing God from our time because we don't go to church anymore. You know what good attendance in a church is now? It used to be, remember, they kept roll every week and they give you pins and stuff. Some of y'all are old timers. I'm an old time Southern Baptist man. In the 70s and 80s, they, they would recognize everybody that had perfect attendance, just like they did at school on Sunday. And we'd bring them up once a year, man. Once a year, you'd bring them up and say, Look here, Tim's been here all 52 weeks. And everybody would be going, Oh, that's great. And you'd get a pin. No, y'all don't have any of those? Y'all are sorry from the beginning. That's the problem. (laughs) I'm just kidding. They used to get pins out for this stuff. They really did. They tried to recognize. You know what regular attendance is now in a contemporary church? Two Sundays a month. Planted two churches. We had the first and third Sunday crowd, and we had the second and fourth Sunday crowd. If we could have ever gotten them together, it would have been awesome. They didn't even know each other. Because they came every other week. And then there was those folks who could come in and out. They'd come like once a month. The problem is, you know what you do? You give based on the amount of time that you give. So think about it. If you give $50 a week and you start showing up once a month, if you give $50 every time you show up twice a month, it gets expensive if you start going every week, doesn't it? That's why everybody's cutting back. You know? This is what we do. This is how we rationalize this. This is how this gets into it. Because less and less from God means more and more for us. That We started this sermon series off by looking at a passage in Haggai. Old Testament. Go read Haggai chapter 1. Haggai chapter 1, he says, Consider your ways. You build all these great houses, but my house lies in ruins. Because my house lies in ruins, you're going to accumulate and then you're going to have holes in your pockets and I'm going to blow it away. We live in the most prosperous country ever in the history of all mankind and yet 70% or greater spend all of their money and are living on credit or one paycheck away from losing all kinds of stuff. Why? because we've maxed it out. What are we doing in our country? We're talking about getting rid of trillions of dollars worth of student loans, because somebody has told us that we gotta be better educated to achieve what we want to achieve. I'm not telling you to be stupid. (laughs) I'm telling you, you can do that, but what about having to go in and working for it? Or taking the time to work your way through college? You go build up loans, and then next thing you know, there are doctors that are getting their degrees and going out and trying to practice, and they got hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars of debt. And now we in our country want to just go, we're going to forgive all of that. Do we get this? This is what we do. Why? Because we think somebody has told us that this is the way that this is supposed to be done. And in the church... We should know better. The Lord's telling us we should know better. But yet we pile this all up. And then we want the Lord to come along because we get in desperate shape, measures, place in our life. And we go, Lord, make this all go away. Make this all go away. Or we go, Lord, I've made a big mess. Come along and bless this somehow. I had a, had a pretty wise fellow tell me one time. He said, if you're digging a hole, put down the shovel. So if you're digging the hole and you're making one deeper for yourself, all you got to do is what? Put down the shovel. Stop digging. Stop buying into this form of reality that everybody says is what you gotta have to make it work. You don't have to have. Matthew 6, 19 through 21 says this, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy And where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourself treasures in heaven, where neither moth nor rust, where thieves do not break in or steal. You know, sometimes in ministry, there's really not a great way to evaluate whether you've been effective or not. So the other day, I I was having a woe is Tim moment. And I was like, you know what? I hate to tell you all this, but I've been like through 25 worship leaders in my ministry. I mean, it's just like they're you know I just kind of go through them, you know. Um, so I've had a lot of worship leaders, but I started looking up my former worship leaders, and at least three of them right now are pastors. I'm not saying that they graduated. What I am saying is, is that I was able to pour into them for a period of time, maybe not very long, but some. And now God has moved them out of the box that they were in, and he's moved them to something else. And I started thinking to myself, you know what? I don't know, way, I don't know a way to truly evaluate. I appreciate you guys when you tell me that I mean something to you, but I don't know what that means. <laughs> I really don't. And so when, when I sit here on Sunday mornings and I'm sharing with you, there's a lot of me and a lot of time that I feel like that I'm just going bleh. You know, I'm just like telling you stuff about my life and and I'm telling you stuff and I'm like this is having no effect just leaving a spot on the floor it's going in one ear and out the other it's like you talking to your kids are you listening to me come on grab it are you here are you here are you present yeah they are grasping it yeah I know you are grasping it piece by piece and by the way It's not me. It's the Spirit of God. He opens your ears and He opens your eyes. I don't know what your life is like. But I do know this. If we spend all of our time trying to store up for treasures here, all we're going to do is end up leaving them to someone else. But if I invest my life in another person for the kingdom of God, then they invest their life into someone else. Then they invest their life into someone else. Go read 2 Timothy chapter two. Paul tells this to Timothy. He says, "Timothy, go find someone that will pour, that you can pour your life into, that will pour their life into someone else." So that's four generations of discipleship. Because Paul is telling Timothy, who he's poured into, and he's telling Timothy to go find somebody. But he said, just don't find anybody. Go find somebody who's willing to pour their life into someone else. That's four deep right there. If every single one of us found one person to pour our lives into for the kingdom of God, and we did that under the auspices of this type of discipleship, and there's... 65 people here today the effectualness of that is over 250 people just on this level if they take it to the next level it's going to be thousands if they take it to the next level it's going to be tens of thousands if they take it to the next level it's going to be hundreds of thousands this is where we are this is understanding this so here's the second part of this don't worry about wealth accumulation and your personal assets and that equaling your network. Worry about resource allocation, kingdom assets, and that equals your net worth. What if you use the resources that God gives you and he allocates those to you through talent, through time, and through treasures, through passion, and he gives those to you? He's just given it to you. He's poured something into you. You're teachers, right? Some of you are teachers, so go pour yourself into somebody else. Policeman, pour yourself into somebody else. Other officers, other families. Whatever it is, go find someone to pour your life into positively for the kingdom of God. Why? Because someone is poured into you. Someone is poured into you. Brother Paul knows one of my former pastors. Brother Claude Helan was pastor at Mars Hill Baptist Church for years and years and years he came right after my parents were married which would have been in the late 60s and he was there in the 70s the whole time I grew up all the way into the early 80s and he became an associational missionary I went to school with his kids he poured into my life J.B. Reese was another he came after him and he had me in my high school years and I can remember as a 16-year-old going into my pastor's office, and I'm going, I think one day God's going to make me a pastor. <laughs> make me, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? He's, like, going to make me be a pastor. I'm scared half to death. It didn't happen when I was 16 or 17 years of age. It happened years and years later. But he encouraged me. He discipled me. He poured into me. Do you have people like that? I'm giving you names. In my life, are there names in yours? where someone, maybe it's a coworker talks about Jesus all the time to you. And you can go and confide in them. And you can have conversations with them. Maybe it's a friend. Maybe it's your parents. I don't know who it is. But we need to start thinking about the, the allocation of our resources. Luke chapter 12. I've skipped the verses. I'm going to give them to you now. Luke chapter 12, verse 22, 23, and then we're going to skip down and look at 30 through 34. He said to his disciples, For this reason I say to you, Do not be worried about your life as to what you will eat, nor your body or as to what you will put on. For life is more than food, and life and the body more than clothing. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek. But your Father knows what you need. He knows those that you need these things. But seek his kingdom. And these things shall be added unto you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to charity. Make yourselves money belts, which do not wear out, and unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. For where your treasure is, there your heart will also be. Matthew six twenty one through 24 says this. For where your treasure is, there is your heart will also be. No one can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Do you see what I'm talking about there? To have, to hold, to hoard, to hate. How did our world get to where we hate each other? We got to where we hate each other because hate is the absence of love. Love only comes from God. Scripture says that. True love only comes from God. The fake love is lust. If we lust after the things of this world, then we get on this path. If we truly love, then we're going to overcome the hate in this world. By not being hateful. By loving those who the world hates. By being something different. We're going to take the resources that God has given us and we're going to learn to love. This is one of the coolest things. I'm going to give you all this. This is closing. We're going to get to lunch and we're going to be on time. Hang with me. Acts chapter 15 at the end and chapter 16. Go read about this. This is the Macedonia call for Paul. Paul was going through his second missionary journey, and he was going back to all the places he had went the first time. And what happened was, is that nothing was happening. So he goes and he prays to God. He says, "Nothing's happening. I'm just going here. What do you want me to do?" And all of a sudden, he sees a vision of a man in Macedonia. Says, "Come over here." So Paul goes over there. He ends up in this little place called Philippi. He goes down by the river in Philippi, and he meets a woman. Woman's rich. Okay, She sells purple cloth, purple dye. So that was very wealthy back then because that's what royalty used. That was the color of royalty. So she was wealthy. meets her down there. She's not a Christ follower, but she is a religious person. So he shares with her. She becomes a follower. Then he goes out and he meets this little girl in town who's demon-possessed. He drives a demon out of her. She gets saved. And so she's the second part. All right. So then they put him in jail for doing that. And so he shares with the Philippian jailer, and he gets saved, and he becomes a third part. That's a core group for a church plant. Think about that. (laughs) A rich person, someone who is culturally stepping out of culture. Um, Okay, let me give you another one. Okay, in a Baptist life, it would be like this. (laughs) Someone who drove a beer truck for a living in Baptist life. I mean, we think about it that way. You'd have to totally give up everything you got, man. That's your job. In fact, I knew a beer truck driver that went to a Baptist church, and then he ended up get leaving that job and going to the mission field. Amazing. Here's another one, though. Demon-possessed girl. Who fits that in this room? I'm just kidding. That's a core group for a church. That becomes the church. Go read it in Acts chapter 15 and Acts chapter 16. That's the core group. Now, listen to what he says about these people. Philippians 4:15 and then 4:19 he says this Philippians that at the first preaching of the gospel after I left Macedonia no church shared with me in the matter of giving and receiving but you alone not just giving to him but receiving from him you alone and my God will supply all of your needs according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus then he's writing to the church at Corinth and he says this in 2 Corinthians chapter 8 verses 1 through 5 this is awesome He's, teaching, he's talking to the church at Corinth, and he's saying, be like these guys. Now, brethren, we wish to make known to you the grace of God which has been given in the churches of Macedonia. The church he's talking about is the church at Philippi. In that great ordeal of affliction, their abundance of joy and their deep poverty overflowed in the wealth of their liberality. They were poor, but they gave anyway. For I testify that according to their ability, beyond their ability, they gave their own accord, begging us with much urging for the favor to participate in the support of the saints. That's what all pastors are praying for right there. Please, Tim, let me give more. How can I give more? How can I give more time, Pastor Tim? Oh, I play the piano. I do this. I do that. Please tell me how I could participate more, Pastor Tim. Oh, Pastor Tim, my wallet's full. I need to unload some of this. Please allow me to give more. Are you following me? These people were begging Paul to give more. Why is this? And I'm going blind begging with us and urging for the favor of the participation of the, uh, the support of the saints. And this, not as we as expected, but they first gave themselves to the Lord and to us by the will of the Lord. All right, go and continue reading on in, in Second Corinthians chapter 9. This is close. He says this. He basically, this is what I'm telling you. You cannot outgive God. The more that you give to God, God has all the seed you will ever need. If you go and sow it, he gives you more seed. But we start thinking this way I've only got this much. If I give some of it away, if I do that, I won't have as much. Because we only think finitely. God is infinitely. God has got your back. I know people who've walked out of church, I know a guy that was broke. He testified to this at Mars Hill, broke as broke could be, had 50 bucks in his wallet, gave it, walked out into the parking lot, and two people knew he were in need and gave him 100 bucks. That's God. There's no way around that. He did, what, go read what the Lord said about the widow and her might. She threw it in. It was all she had. He said, she will be remembered forever for doing this, and she has given more than anybody else in this room because she gave it all. That's it. That's radical generosity. He will pour it down in your lap, stuff it down, and it will overflow out. That's not my promise. That's his. Will you take him up on it? Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you so much for this day. I thank you for the opportunity which we have to come and to be in your house and to hear your word. Father, I thank you for the blessings of life and how you've given us so much. For such a time as this, you've placed us in this world. We're where we are today because you have brought us here. Some people were invited. That is awesome. But they're not here by chance. They're here because you brought them here. This is your word for all of us. May we be faithful in handling it. May we use it for your glory. May we allow it to affect and impact our lives so our lives will impact others. These things we pray now in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. We're going to stand together and we're going to sing.